0: Hello, friend and colleague, it's Nikki from Full Voice Music. And on today's podcast, episode 132, my returning expert guests share fantastic information. Brian Lee shares practical teaching strategies, technical exercises, and repertoire suggestions for changing male voices. Eden Castile shares the fun of Opera Works Attitude flashcards, and our good friend Michelle Marquardt-Devaux gives savvy business owners clarity on money terms, information that is valuable for your teaching studio today. Hello, welcome, and thank Thank you for joining me for another podcast episode. I hope you are having a great day. I have a fantastic show, super amazing, awesome guests. And we are talking about vocal pedagogy, teaching tools, and business terminology. However, before I begin, uh, I want to check in with my friends and colleagues from around the world. How are you? Uh, if you are listening at time of release, it is the beginning of December 2020, the year that keeps on giving. <laughs> Good. And, uh, you know, even without a global pandemic, even without all the, the challenges that we're facing, the final stretch before the holiday season, I find personally, uh, is a marathon and, um, whether I'd be preparing for a holiday recital, uh, and now I'm preparing for a lot of holiday recital editing. Um, but I find that it's just this last little push before the break that can really <laughs> cause a lot of burnout. So I just want to, I just want to say, uh, hang in there and, um, it it's so important. I know, you know, this, it's so important for us to show up for our students and to continue to be strong. And I know that's a huge space to hold. And uh, my husband and I were talking last night. And, uh, you know, I was just saying, you know, holding space for all these people. I mean, I, I, I think of it as an as an honor to do that. But it's, really challenging and um, I am looking at how I'm going to take care of myself over the next couple of weeks and um, how I'm going to have some fun with my students. I am so ready for a holiday break and I'm actually really thankful that our holiday this year is going to be really quiet. Um, We're not going to be able to have any big gatherings or go visiting and you know what I'm not gonna I'm not gonna grieve that I'm going to embrace that and use it for self-care so uh, but I did want to share a few things with you that hopefully will make the next few weeks much easier so first of all um, we had a freebie Friday last week and at the full voice uh, we tried to put out fun singing activities um, uh, every once in a while and uh, last week we put out the hot chocolate warm-up song and I have to tell you, we don't put anything out that we don't test and that I don't use in my teaching studio. And last week, I used our free download hot chocolate warm-up song with all of my students, all ages. All right, so if you have never been to our free resources page, okay, the full voice dot com you see the free tab at the top click it you'll see free resources and on that page there are so many fun free you do not have to sign up you do not have to give me your email you just take what you want and have fun with your students so hot chocolate warm-up is on our free resources page so I did that activity with everyone last week and I had so much fun. So I did that with my um, small group vocal class, so my singers that are eight to 10 years old. And um, a hot chocolate warm-up is like a little jazzy. It's got jazzy chords. It's got little syncopated rhythms. It's very catchy, it's short and sweet. So it was easy to teach by rote on the Zoom call. And it does come with a backing track. So I was able to send it, email it to all my students so they could play the track on their side. So I did it with my littles. They had fun. We talked about what favorite hot chocolate and what favorite hot chocolate toppings we'd like to put on there. Um, I also did this with my teenagers, and a lot of my teenagers have been in my studio for quite some time. And we've been working on a lot of jazz, and I've been introducing um, jazz improvisation. So I used the hot chocolate study as a improvisation study, and it was so much fun. And then I even use the hot chocolate song with my adult students, my avocational adults, and once a month, all my adults are invited to a sip and sing class. Since we're online, Uh, I don't have to worry about anybody drinking and driving. So we have this fun get together. It's such a release. Uh, We do a fun activity and then my adults get a chance to perform for each other. And it's just so wonderful. And I did the, the hot chocolate warm up song with them. They had fun. And then I also tortured them with the Opera Works Attitude cards, and you're going to learn about those today in the podcast. So um, if you uh, are looking for some seasonal activities for the next couple of weeks, just to kind of get you through to the break, please check that out. Now, um, I also want to share another fantastic teaching activity, and I want to shout out to a teacher, Sharon Hand from Woodstock, Illinois, and Sharon took the time, and I can't thank her enough for doing this. Sharon took the time to send me an email just thanking me for all of our resources and how it's helped her and her students are having so much fun, and Sharon, I want to thank you for that. But she also shared in her email this activity that she did with another one of our free resources. So on the free resource page, there is a Jingle Bells uh, rhythmic improvisation study. So it's using uh, the, 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 the Christmas song, the holiday song, Jingle Bells. And then the activity is about changing the rhythm, uh, the rhythmic patterns, and that is actually from our Oh Christmas Tree resource. We put that up there as a free sample, and it's one of my favorite activities to do. But I have to share what what Sharon did with her students because I'm stealing it, and also um, I think this is just so much fun. So I'm reading from Sharon's email, and yes. I did get permission from Sharon to do so. (laughs) So just so you know. Um, So this is what Sharon writes. I wanted to let you know that my students and I have been having a lot of fun with the Jingle Bells rhythm improvisation activity this past week. I've found what really engages my tweens is to pretend we are backup singers. And I can't tell you how much I love that. I think that's so much fun. Uh, we say that the traditional Jingle Bells melody is for the lead singer <laughs> quotes. And then we create backup singer choreography to help us learn the different rhythms melody. How fun is that? Timidity, giggles, and laughter eventually give way to creatively exploring style and stage presence and building confidence while internalizing rhythm accuracy. Is that not fun? So what an amazing way to introduce movement into your lesson, as well as the skill of, of moving and kind of having that background vocal uh, singer um, experience. Um, I might have put myself through college uh, singing background vocals, <laughs> in the 80s and 90s anyhow um uh Sharon I can't thank you enough for that amazing strategy and I really love when teachers reach out and share these victories with their students so um thank you for that and uh if you want to check that out again it's all on the free resources page on our website they're all there uh go check it out and have fun with your students today (music) One of the biggest challenges for teachers working with young singers is helping our students as they go through voice change. Not only do we have to adapt our technical studies and repertoire choices, and of course, the many key changes to the new repertoire, but we need to be mindful of the emotional and confidence struggles our students may be enduring through this what can be an awkward time. My returning guest, voice teacher, author, blogger, Brian Lee, shares his experience and insight in working with changing male voices. Welcome back to the podcast. My my wonderful friend and colleague, Brian Lee. So good to see you today. How are you?
1: I'm great. How are you, Nikki?
0: I'm good. I always say see you, so this is an audio podcast, but I get to see Brian and uh, he's uh, he's in his studio. There's wonderful gear, beautiful digital piano. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Um, so today our hot topic is changing voice. And we're focusing on our young, well, our boys turning into young men. Um, this is always a challenging uh topic and one that has a lot of questions. So, I actually went to um, the Voice Teachers for Young Singers forum, and I asked, you know, what their burning questions were. Um, And then I'm going to organize them into our our topics today.
1: Great. I'll be (laughs) interested to hear what they are. Um,
0: So, first of all, uh, you are... You've worked with young young boys going through the voice change. What are mm-hmm. just what are just some of your uh, just general guidelines that you could offer somebody who's just maybe getting started with someone going through this?
1: Well, I think it's really important to keep them singing however you can. Mm. Uh even if that, if it, even if it feels like it's a more limited kind of singing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, But keep them singing. Um, When you and I were talking a little bit about this at another time, uh, you mentioned some boys sail through fairly easily and others have a more challenging time, but it's always easier if they keep singing. Nice. Uh, It's kind of harder if they sort of have a negative experience and just stop when they're 13. And Say, oh, it's a mess. I'm not going to do anything until I'm 18 or whatever. I think it's usually better if they keep singing. Mm-hmm. Sense of humor is super important. <laughs> and one of the things I tell the guys, and often some of the girls too, is that, you know, in your early teens, you are getting a voice transplant.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's great language.
1: You, you have a new, you have a new instrument that's been given to you. Uh, and so we, it'll take some time to integrate it into your body because it, this is something new. It's a, it's a different size than it used to be. It's a, a different strength than it used to be. And so, uh, you know, there'll be some times when, uh, Getting used to the newness is what it's all about. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that was one of the reoccurring questions. And, and one of the very important concerns I think a lot of teachers have is how do we make our students comfortable and, and, and reassure them through this unusual time where things just don't go the way they want it to or things aren't working the way they want it to work?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I always tell them that su- success is always possible. There's always something they can sing. Nice. Um, and we can get a little more into details about how we find what they can sing and so forth. But but I, I've had a, a couple guys with uh, a really long protracted period of change and uh, a couple different steps, you know, like a big change at 13, and another big change at 17. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had young guys who want to hang on to their child voice.
0: Oh, um, yes, yes.
1: Uh, uh, I, I have one student who studied with me for about three years mm. uh, th- in high school. He didn't tell me until his last year with me that the entire time he had stayed in his children's choir oh. singing Soprano too. What? And he was a baritone. Oh. And uh he de- he never told me this. And once I knew that, it explained a lot. I mean, then he like was finally, you know, forthcoming about wanting to hang on to the childhood glory because he had this amazing treble voice mm-hmm. and he f- he felt very uh insecure right. about his baritone voice. But knowing that he was singing for a few hours a week in high high falsetto mm. uh answered a lot of questions about why his new voice was a little bit harder to get together.
0: Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. I'm laughing because I find our students don't tell us things, important things. Yes. <laughs> and it would be so much easier if they just came clean.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Well, and that brings up a, a really... Uh, Common thing is that the the shame or embarrassment that sometimes ki- comes with with the transition from the prepubescent voice into changed voice, um, which I think is awkward because we want to have these conversations with them, yeah. But we don't want to cross that boundary because it's a very personal thing. Yes. So. I love your comment about sense of humor. Do you have any other strategies for helping them feel safe in, in the singing space?
1: Well, I mean, in addition to sense of humor, um, the idea of this is a very large boat. Many people have ridden in your boat. It's this, (laughs) so it's, it's very common. These feelings of, of shame and weirdness and, and, uh, feeling like your voice doesn't work anymore and feeling like you're impaired that that's really common.
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, and so many people have been through that before and, and, uh, uh, this is how it goes, but that we can still keep singing. And, uh, uh, you know, I always have the hope with the humor. I could not teach without humor if I, (laughs) I tried to be serious all the time. Um, yeah, but, but when they're down about it, I, you know, I'll say like, yeah, you're high F uh, at this point. Uh, you know, it kind of stinks right now, but that's okay. Cause this is, <laughs> this is what young men go through. And, but my God, you have such a beautiful low A mm. let's look at these things. You know, let's, let's find out where you can shine. Cause, cause you have beautiful parts to your voice. That's one thing I always emphasize. So uh, one of my tropes, in teaching is that every voice is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So uh, that includes your voice that's changing. Love it's it. it's still a beautiful voice and it has parts that are just fine. So we are going to build from those parts. And that's another thing, uh, whether I'm teaching an advanced adult or a young person, uh, I don't subscribe to the idea of tearing a voice down to zero and building it back up again. Right. Even, even if the project ends up being kind of like that, I would never ever say that's my intention because it really isn't. Sure. You know, I always want to build on what's there. And, uh, so, um, yeah, we talk about that. And then I have the a little bit of advantage of having gone through a difficult change myself. So when I was 14, uh, my voice dropped like crazy. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this in, in a bunch of other boys. So I sang bass in the choir for a while because wow. my folds were so flabby. I could sing a low F <laughs> and I had no no tone or coordination to go up high. And then as I went through high school, my voice went back up to tenor. OK, Um and that can happen too. A lot of times the initial drop will result in a lower absolute range than they end up with. Mm. Uh, also on the bottom end, because because mm-hmm. the new folds that have grown so fast, mm-hmm. as they become more toned and have uh, greater elasticity, um, they they find a tessitura that's a hair higher than it mm-hmm. was when mm-hmm. the change first happened.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah. I. So I had, uh, I have a student who also went through very dramatic changes and like, we called it the change of Palooza when it came to keys. Um, But one of the things I noticed that he would do, like some singers want to stay and sing in their, in their prepubescent voice, but... I noticed my singer cuz I always like to talk to my kids or all my students before we get started and just kind of assess where their speaking range is. Yeah. But I I noticed that he would push really really low in his speaking voice. And and like to the point of pretty much vocal fry, like really pushing down. Um and I found it very challenging in the lesson to figure out where he was because his he had pushed his speaking voice so low. Do you have any insight or strategies uh, for students that really want to kind of talk so so low in their range?
1: I, I'm chuckling here because because I've definitely seen that a lot. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I mention it. I'll bring it up. I'll say, do you know that you talk really really low? Mm. Uh, Sometimes I'll try to say, hey, could you just say that again really slowly? And then I'll find the notes on the piano.
0: Right, right.
1: Because uh, a lot of times it's below where they can really sing. Yes. And uh, and I'll just mention, you know, I don't want to get people self-conscious about how mm-hmm. they speak. But um, sometimes I'll, I'll bring it up that, you know, they're, uh, they're in a really, really low place. And it's okay to be higher. Mm. That now, now that their voice has changed, what they feel like is higher medium is still going to sound low. Right. Um, and I don't get into the psychology of why they may be doing that. I mean, I, I call it like, you know, the super chill voice or whatever, or they're trying to show that they do indeed, you know, uh, have manly hormones running through their veins or whatever. <laughs> you know, we don't get into that, why, why it's cool to talk that way. And a lot of young women do that too. Oh or t-
0: big time. Right
1: down at the bottom of where they could possibly phonate. It's like, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> okay. So but I'll i t- I'll talk about that. Now I'll encourage in the lesson anyway, let's let's play with um, talking in different pitches as mm-hmm. like an expressive device thing. So mm-hmm. um, we may talk through a text and I'll say um OK, now, what's the most important word in that phrase? What are your options for making that word more important? Mm. And we'll get around to pitch eventually
0: mm-hmm.
1: yes. <laughs> as one of the options uh, because it absolutely is a part of what we what we find interesting about singers and stand-up comics and actors and uh, people we call crazy characters in our life. <laughs> They all have voices that change pitch a lot.
0: Right. Right. It's
1: perfectly cool.
0: That's very helpful. Now, when you, um, when we're working, a, a lot of teachers express, and I know I feel this way sometimes too, how everybody's afraid of pushing the voice or pushing the range. How much... How much do we have to challenge the kids with their voices? Like how before we need to worry, like sometimes we see them straining. So in my studio, obviously all the big musical theater songs that are just ridiculously high for even normal human beings to sing, but they really want to get into that. Should we be concerned about them hurting their voices? Should we be encouraging them to be stretching the range? Where's a safe place for a teacher to start?
1: That's such a super question. I think this is part of the reason why it's real important to me to have a voice lesson that's divided into two parts Mm -hmm. and both parts have to be there. And the first part needs to be uh, warm up and exercising Mm -hmm. and exploration. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the other part has to be songs. And if I'll have some students who only want to do the first part. And of course, Mm -hmm. a lot of students only want to do the last part. Uh, but you have to have both because part of what the singer has to do is know where their limits are at -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so part of the vocalization I do with students, um, first of all, on a practical level, uh, I do a lot of falsetto stuff and starting there and coming down, uh, and then, from bottom up, uh, I say a lot of times, especially in early lessons, I'll say, "Okay, I want to do moma mum mom," and we're going to take this up and we're going to go to the point of failure. I want to hear where it doesn't work anymore or where it cracks or goes funny. So I want to find that. Let's find. Let's find the place where where it 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 doesn't work anymore and is bad, and uh, that's and then then we'll know that. Just under that is is your best high note. Mm. So I teach them, I try to teach them this process for understanding where their functional range is. It's not the highest note they can sing. Mm-hmm. It's not the, it's, I'd say it's one under the mm-hmm. highest note they can sing comfortably, but here's how we're going to find it. And um, so uh, when I'm vocalizing up from chest voice, uh, I think it's real important to do two things: to to instill that we're never going to go higher than feels good, okay, and that we're also going to learn how to crack mm. to literally know, okay, if if you don't push it but try to go higher, what will happen? You know, and we a, a lot of I have found it's just my experience a lot of voice teachers are real afraid to explore that, and to, I, I really encourage the making of bad sounds. <laughs> so I said, because I, I tell the student, this is how we find, uh, by finding the bad sounds, uh, then we can, we can figure out where the good sounds are, because the good sounds are not bad. Mm. so (laughs) if we know where the bad ones are for you right now then then we can pick songs that only sit in your good spot while in our vocal exercising we can work all over the bad parts and even make some bad sounds that'll help you sing better
0: brilliant
1: so that that's kind of the mindset i i try to encourage um and um yeah so so uh and then if there's a hole in the voice, I, I try to show them exactly. why I say hole in the voice, what I'm talking about is, say, uh, what you get with some fellows if they come down from falsetto, yes. uh, down a scale, you get, ooh. Yes. <laughs> and there's a, this like, they cannot bridge the gap, it like, oh, jump down a whole octave. And so I make sure they understand, music theory-wise, what's going on there, that that they have jumped down a whole octave. And so if we go up from the bottom, they usually can get up much closer to that first falsetto note, but there's still a hole. And it's usually big hole, fourth, fifth, sixth. (laughs) It can be a pretty big hole there Mm -hmm. um, where where they may not be able to make any notes at all yet. Okay. And uh, so then I I just work on uh, with bringing falsetto down. And at some point, falsetto and chest can touch, and I say, "Okay, now you can sing all the notes. You can't do it smoothly yet, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, like there may be a Jekyll and Hyde thing that happens when you get to D, and then when you go to E flat, it might suddenly flip out into that other voice. <laughs> uh, but that's a first step. That's going to get us. That's going to get us there.
0: I refer and, to it as popping the clutch. <laughs> it's great, yeah. but the, none of the kids drive, so they don't know what I'm talking about, but.
1: right? But it it, it, ha- it has such an active sound. I mean, they, it, they can imagine it's something kinetic. <laughs> 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 I refer to things all the time that nobody knows what they are because right? you know I grew up in the Mesozoic era. <laughs> but.
0: Um, now I want. I'm curious for my own studio. When you're working with falsetto, so you you said you come down. You like to do a lot of descending work. Would you just use a scale on a vowel or is there a specific focus that you have through there?
1: Um, Usually the easiest vowel is an ooh Mm -hmm. uh, for for falsetto. And I usually start it around G because most young men with voices changing uh, cannot sing a G in uh, full or chest or belted or any ways without hurting themselves. So so it has to be falsetto. Okay. If you and uh, um, we, we also go up from there, and mm. th- I let them go up however high they want to go up. Some some of my guys will keep you know notes up to the top and above the treble staff even while they're getting their lower voice figured out. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like my job is getting them singing in. The lower part and, and learning to love that. Mm. So uh, I may have lost track of your question.
0: No, no, it's all that was just that was great. Um, I want to know about, uh, do you have some standard repertoire that you you like to use with your students at this age? Do you have like some go to pieces?
1: I do have a few. Yeah. Um, in general, I really like folk songs. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, there are folk songs that are packaged so as to be at least kind of, um, more interesting for young people like, uh, protest songs of the sixties, for example, Mm. um, folk songs that, I mean, a lot of the kids really love folk songs from any era and that tell tales of woe, et cetera. Um, but there's there's such a wide uh, variety of, of folk songs. They're usually short. They're strophic. You know, they just have verses like mm-hmm. sixteen bars that that with different words, um, and they usually have limited range. And there's so many great folk songs that are an octave or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and virtually all boys, when their voices first change, have some sort of octave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the musical theater uh, world, there are very few mm-hmm. songs that have a small range, but there's a few that are that are kind of cool that are um, go-tos for me. Like uh, one that I really like from Oklahoma, Poor Judd is Dead. Oh, okay. So that's an interesting one because it has a range of uh, a ninth.
0: Okay.
1: It's in a very comfortable range. Mm-hmm. It can be brought down a step if you need to, but the range is just b to c sharp and it's not a love song per se it's mm. it's gritty and and uh kind of you know it's just this sort of brutish character and that's really fun for the guys too to play someone who's mm. a little bit off kilter mm. um but that that's a that's a really great musical theater one there's another one called uh just in time which is also a jazz standard
0: i love that tune
1: yeah, and I think the range on that is either a ninth or a minor tenth. But mm-hmm. the thing is, since it's designed, uh, it's so often rendered as a jazz song, it can be sung very low where the low notes are just barely touched and the high notes, you know, you top out at, at D flat or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, there's a song for the bass character, but it can be sung in any key from Annie Get Your Gun called uh, My Defenses Are Down. Um it's a really cute song. Uh and my boys have enjoyed that one too. Uh golden age
0: mm-hmm.
1: song. Uh with all of these songs, um, they don't have big long money high notes at the end, you know. Thank uh, goodness. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the end of the end of Judd is dead, uh find me a woman to call my own. It it it's a it's an ugly lyric. With sort of a raw theme. So the last note can sound like hell and you've nailed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That, okay, Brian Lee, that probably has been the most helpful repertoire suggestion ever, ever mentioned on the full voice podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. Great. (laughs) I love it. Um, Now, uh, transposition is huge for our singers because, it just changes from day to day. How do yes. you how do you manage that?
1: Yes, I I think it's it's crucial uh, to what we do, and I think for these boys, it is super helpful for us to be teaching at a digital instrument with mm-hmm. a transpose button, mm-hmm. uh, so we can change keys at the you know drop of a hat and show the student that. Um, the song that feels impossible may be totally doable in your key, in mm. your personal key, mm-hmm. and that professional singers always put things in their perfect personal key. Right. And so we're going to do that for you. Nice. So um, because the voice changes from day to day, uh, sometimes you'll have a kid who has a range of a tenth. Mm-hmm. Let's say it's B flat to D. but with a little exercise in confidence that range will start to extend pretty quickly and if you can take a song and try it in different keys in the same lesson to illustrate ideas about well here's where your range is today here's here's what uh, you know most of the song lies here but you can do that e flat for a second cuz it's a short note on an open vowel and I start to talk about things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're if you're singing the first part of the word hello, hello on a high note, that's going to be relatively easy compared to trying to belt the word you.
0: <laughs> you know, yes.
1: or right. you know, so um so having a transposing keyboard, I think, is really important and using sheet music with the student. Mm. I want them to see the key they're singing th- that that. We're singing in, and then I want them to understand what a departure from that key feels like and sounds like. Mm -hmm. And then if I make accompaniments for them, I mean, a lot of times I've had them sit quietly and follow the music while I play an accompaniment in two different keys. And I say, Mm -hmm. why don't you practice with both of these keys at home? See which one you like the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't give any judgment call about higher is better. Nice. Or lower is better. I just say which one is more comfortable because mm-hmm. that that's what we want to go for is what's what's comfortable. And then, our um, if you're interested in learning how to sing higher, you could play around with this hierarchy and see what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always emphasize this thing about we can put a song with a reasonable range into your range, uh, with the magic of transposition. And, and I emphasize, you know, they they all want to sing along with artists. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: if the, the trend in their genre, it's almost always really high singing, uh, for the males.
0: Right. Uh, Damn you, Ben Platt.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, (laughs) uh, you know, and, and, uh, I tell them, well, do you know how old Ben is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know how, how long he's been singing? Do you know how long he's studied? Uh when you've done all those things, you also will be able to sing the in his mm. key.
0: <laughs> An important conversation, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and that is that's just plain difficult. When when they want to sing exactly like their idol, but uh they have to understand their idol could not sing like their idol right. when he was 14. Mm-hmm. hmm So
0: that's a great, uh, that's great language for teachers I think is just yeah. that is helping them to understand that this is down the road big picture we're working towards it but what yeah. you what you got going on right now is just fine yeah yeah
1: and then some singers especially if they're in the if if their bread and butter repertoire they really like is more popular styles mm-hmm. I'll t- I'll talk about singers who use, actual falsetto. I mean, the one who comes to mind uh, really strong is uh, Coldplay, I think. Oh, yes. Uh, Martin. Uh, is it Chris Martin? Yes. Is that the lead singer? Yeah. So the thing, he never pushes his voice. Nope. He he goes into falsetto around E mm-hmm. or so, and he's like, fine. I don't, I don't need... So there are even styles where uh, and there, a lot of songs are very forgiving of you singing these notes with your chest voice mm-hmm. and these notes with your falsetto voice, your cracked voice, your head <laughs> voice, yep. this other voice. There's a lot of people singing a lot of songs with two different voices, and that's okay too.
0: Uh, that's great. I I try that. I try to f- help singers find. Um, ah. The, uh, like professionals that they can listen to and 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 appreciate, and, and I always try to open up the conversation about the different voices, how they're choosing to use that voice artistically, and I I, I find that a lot of our kids are they don't they don't have those active listening skills, and yeah. They don't often recognize when they're using a different register or the quality of that register. Yep. and i have long given up assigning them listening cuz it has to be done in the studio and it has to be pointed at them or it just they don't do it and and they're just they're exposed to so much music right they don't they don't re- put a lot of things on repeat and i find that that has become part of lessons especially with my my singers whose voices are changing or even with my girls who struggled with the, wanting to stay really, really heavy chest singing and really not liking the sound that they made when they went into the higher register, and you know introducing um, you know Kate Bush or Tori Amos or and just having them listen or Joni Mitchell and having them listen to the quality of the higher sounds. It's it's a really lost. Appreciation, I think for a lot of our younger kids, so getting them to just listen to the quality yeah well um i Brian i have to I always enjoy talking to you, and you're always so helpful in approaching some challenging um uh students and 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 vocal challenges um I'm gonna do that again, that totally was really horrible. Hang on, wait, marker. <laughs> Brian, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise and and these wonderful strategies that you've given us. I, I can't thank you enough. It's always so good to talk to you.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was just delightful talking with you about this stuff.
0: Do you have any last um, resources that you'd like to share with anybody that wants more information about changing voice?
1: Well, uh, one thing... Uh, that they could do is go to my blog. Cause I've written about this quite a lot over the last Brilliant. 11 years. Um, so if you go to my blog, go to the blog page and in the search box, if you put boys or changing, uh, in the search box, you'll come up with a lot of articles about it. And, um, I, I think that, that that's uh, pretty useful. There's, there's several books out on the market too, about the boys changing voice that people can find. Um,
0: yeah that is wonderful thank you I your blog is so inspiring and and I'm gonna put links to uh, your blog and you know what we'll 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 cultivate some of those articles and we'll put it in the show notes great thank you one of the fun things that I love to do when interviewing my podcast guests is ask them about their favorite vocal exercises and activities. And full disclosure, I then take all these exercises and I torture my students with them. (laughs) Win-win. Now, back in episode 127, Eden Castile was sharing her experiences with low-latency technologies, and I had the opportunity at the end of that interview to ask her about her favorite studio warm-up activity. Welcome back to the podcast, Eden Castile. How are you?
2: I'm great. I don't know what I'm going to talk about, though.
0: Oh no, we're you're going to share one of your amazing yep. vocal warm-ups. What's okay. a, what's a go-to in your
2: teaching studio? When my students are warming up, I want to make sure that they are staying engaged. I want to say uh, mm-hmm. mentally engaged, basically. Many times warm-ups, especially if you're doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da, they check out a little bit, and I don't want them to check out. I want them to stay present. So uh, short of getting out cheerleading pom-poms to make sure they're watching me, because all of this is <laughs> happening online, sometimes I will hold up a word, and this is a podcast, so you can't see. What am I holding up? Oh, Mickey? wistful. Yes. You, wistful. That's a t- pleasant
0: Enraptured. oh these are cool cards bored (laughs) hateful
2: right you're doing
0: exactly what you should sorrowful oh I am mm, okay
2: so where'd those words come from she said so Mm -hmm. these are by uh, the wonderful director Ann Baltz and they're from operaworks.org and these are her cards Uh, she calls them Opera Works Get Outside the Box and they're they're wonderful So Ann Baltz uh, is based in California. She has wonderful programs for opera singers uh, to help them uh, work on uh, dramatics, on staging, uh, but also just kind of getting deeper in character. So she does wonderful things where she'll create entire operas and she plays very classically, but then they sing whatever they want on top. It's very improvisatory. But then a while ago, she came up with these wonderful cards. And so there's about, I don't know, 100, more than that, wow. that all have different descriptors on them. And so if you're in a Zoom lesson and you see the kid checking out, or the adult for that matter, sometimes I'll just <laughs> randomly hold up the card to the screen and they see a word there. So that way I don't interrupt them. So that Because in Zoom, we know that interruptions are tough, uh, but they get to see a word, and then they have to start singing like the word. Instantly, Ooh. they're engaged again, and it begins to switch. And sometimes I'll do things according to what they're doing. So if they're singing a song that's really happy, I give them nothing but sad words <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm cruel. Evil. Really, really cruel and evil. Um, and I, I started using these during in-person lessons, uh, especially during uh, studio class. So that way, not only would the student have the benefit of having the cards and and changing, but they had that built-in feedback from everybody else watching. Mm -hmm. What it really does is it just keeps them engaged. And that's what we want, right? just constant engagement. So you can uh, have some cards that absolutely match the kind of mood you'd like the student to set, or you can mess with it and give them things that are random. She also has additional cards that have dynamic markings on them. And she has cards that ask for a physical position, like weight on one hip, or twiddle your thumbs, hand to throat, to help encourage people to stay engaged. So especially in an online situation, I think that's a really wonderful thing. Works for any type of music. She started with classical, but it works for absolutely everything. I use this in my own singing and warm ups uh, in order to find new colors in my voice and just looking at music differently. So that way I don't get too caught up in just the notes. And when I have that emotional uh, driver, suddenly my voice can do things that it wasn't doing before. And I've absolutely noticed that with my students as well. So, Ann Baltz, org is where you can order these cards. And they're one of the best investments I've ever made in my studio.
3: Brilliant.
0: A special thank you to Eden for sharing the Operaworks cards. And I will confirm they are worth every penny. I have, ha- I invested in them myself. I got all the sets. Thank you, Ann Baltz. And I've had many fun and fantastic moments, aha moments with my students of all ages using my cards in my online lessons. And whether you're teaching online or in person, they are so valuable. You can find the Opera Works Attitude, Gesture, and Movement cards at Ann Baltz A N B A L T Z dot com. If you are running a music studio business, well, any business for that matter, it is essential to understand the basic money terms. Michelle marquardt Devoe is finishing up our mini-series, and you know, it's been a mini-master series on running your teaching studio with an overview of basic business and money terms needed to understand and grow your business. Welcome back to the podcast, our business coach, voice teacher extraordinaire, Michelle Marquardt Devoe. How are you doing?
3: I'm, you know, I'm really good today. Thank you for asking. I feel good. I, I'm.
0: I uh, have to. For those of you that listened to our last episode, our last segment in this series, we were initially going to be talking about money terms, but we got off topic although brilliantly off topic we were talking about scheduling and looking at the year and planning and how that ties in beautifully with your offers but today bonus episode we're actually going to talk about money terms and understanding the business terms that that we need to to embrace as a business owner so apologies if you you we're looking for that information last time. <laughs> right. We promise. I want to tell a little quick story. So, Michelle, one of the first things Michelle made me do uh, when we started working together was get a cash flow spreadsheet going. And I immediately had to Google cash flow spreadsheet and mm-hmm. I had to find a, I found actually a brilliant template a free template a cash flow thing it's a spreadsheet and it's so good and i have to tell you my accountant and my bookkeeper were both ecstatically thrilled that i offered them that information especially my bookkeeper my bookkeeper goes on the prayer list at church sometimes
3: because uh mine too (laughs) mine too um bookkeepers and accountants are secret weapons Mm in business, especially if you're, especially, okay, so this is going to sound funny. I I love numbers. I love spreadsheets. I love looking at my numbers. I love playing with them. I love helping other people with numbers, but like the actual act of like data entry mm. makes me want to stab my right eye. Yes. So I have a bookkeeper for that. And then sometimes I have to make really big money decisions. Like, am I going to spend $10,000 on a website? Am I going to spend $15,000 on a coaching? I mean, that's a big financial decision. And that's when I like to bring in my accountant who can also, which I would recommend to anyone else, finding an accountant who has the ability to operate as kind of an on-call CFO. chief financial officer Mm -hmm. who can help you make the decisions because they're looking at your numbers long term and say, "Okay, well, it looks like your projected revenue, if it goes the same way as last year and the year before, you will have enough money. I suggest that you pay it off in one chunk and then replenish this account or you know what I mean? Like they just not that you can't make that decision yourself, but it's really nice when you're going to, you know, you're going to invest in something and I know those seems kind, Those might seem like big numbers to some people. Mm. But so even, even if it's something where like for you, a uh, uh, you know, a big chunk of money is like $3,000 or $5,000. Like it's, it's the number isn't as relevant as it is the percentage of your annual revenue, which mm-hmm. is, we'll get to that word in a second. Um, but having an accountant and having a bookkeeper to communicate with and a financial advisor too, who is more like your whole life, you know how is your how is your wealth being managed? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of you know through retirement and real you know whatever investments, if you choose to do that. Um, these you want to have some knowledge about certain terms so that mm-hmm. when you're having those conversations, uh, you're not stuck in the lingo. I mean, it's just like voice teaching, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's lingo there. There's lingo that for good or for ill, there's lingo, and there's terms. That some people agree on and some people don't, but you know it's helpful if you at least know what those terms are and what they mean so that when you're having a conversation um you know what the other person's talking about right you know mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. so so do you should we just go for it Should we just yeah like, let's let's get started. Yeah. yeah. So the first word. Tell us is, all the scary words, Michelle. <laughs> well, I and again, I think they're familiar words. Mm. But until someone tells us this is what this means, it's like, oh, so revenue. We just use that word. Mm-hmm. So revenue is all of the earning you make from the sale of goods and services. OK. Any money that comes into your business is revenue. And it's a big chunk of money. It's before anything else is accounted for. It's just the stuff coming in. So that can be from a workshop you lead or the voice lessons you teach or the full voice books you sell. You, Nikki, not other people shouldn't be selling your books unless you give them permission to do that, of course. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) Um, So whatever you're selling, goods and services, all the money that comes in is revenue. Now, where people get a little bit hung up is in the word income. Mm. Because in more strict business settings, when you hear the word income, it's usually in reference to net income. Okay. Which is the money left over after deductions and expenses. Okay. Sometimes called profit. Okay. Now, in a less strict business setting, the word income is interchangeable with revenue.
0: Mm. Which right? is why it gets so,
3: confused. Right. Which is why it gets confusing because the word can mean two different things in different contexts. So in a more like casual setting, you can be like, great, what's your, you know, sometimes we use the word gross and net. So gross is kind of like revenue. It's like everything, everything, everything. hmm Without deductions and expenses. And then um, net is after all that stuff is taken away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you're a corporation, depending on where you are in the world, but like in the United States, if you you choose to be taxed as a corporation, then your payroll becomes part of your expenses. But if you're a sole proprietor, your payroll is not part of your expenses. It's part of your profit or your net income which is common for sole proprietor type ships, no matter where you are in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So revenue, again, everything that comes in. What is your total earned revenue? Just everything that comes in. Income sometimes means revenue and sometimes means profit. Gross income being revenue, net income being your profit. Yeah?
0: I, I am following
3: Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of like music theory. (laughs) (laughs) Using words in different contexts may change the meaning, right? Next, a deduction or an expense. Ooh,
0: this is a good one. Okay, yes. Yeah. I learned about (laughs) this the hard way.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, so a deduction or an expense is anything that can be reported to reduce the taxable income or profit... Mm -hmm. Of a business. This is different than a Mm write-off. Sometimes people say, oh, I'll just write it off. I'm like, no, actually, you won't do that. Probably most likely you will not be doing that. (laughs) A write-off usually deals with like spoiled inventory. Yes. Unpaid loans Mm -hmm. or unpaid invoices. So like, let's say, you know, let's say I have a client and... I invoice them in December for $5,000 and they don't pay it in December of 2020, you know, I either have to get them to pay it in 2021 or I already, and this is assuming I already delivered the service or the goods, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's that would be a write-off, um, Nikki. I remember one time you lost a bunch of books to like a flood, flooding situation. Yeah, or, like, the, a they were
0: damaged. Uh, the UPS or whatever, there was an accident, <sighs> and yes, those books were. There was there yeah, was so, insurance, but yeah, those books were a write-off. They they yeah, were, that's
3: a write-off. Yeah. That is not an expense or a deduction. So a deduction is something, and again these these definitions are as loose as possible because I don't. Want to be confusing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. yep. A deduction is generally something that the government says you're allowed to take, mm. right? And an expense is generally something that you have spent money on in order to improve your business.
0: So, purchasing a new piano for your teaching studio would be an, an expense. expense. Yes,
3: right. Which winds up being a deduction because it deducts money from. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Absolutely. The th- The thing is an expense and the action that it does, that's not right, but the thing it does is deduct from your revenue Mm -hmm. or your gross income, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. Most things in our businesses are going to be expenses. Right. And then I like to say deductions often happen kind of on the personal side of things. Right. Right. Right now, if you're a corporation, you can get deductions and stuff like that. Um, and again, depending on where you're in the world, all of these rules are different, which is why it's good to have an accountant and a bookkeeper that knows your market and knows your laws and knows your government's so. um, mm-hmm. desires and all of that. So, OK, next we have a profit and loss statement. p and and l Have you ever heard PL? Here it is. Or sometimes it's called an income statement. So the profit and loss or a P&L is a financial statement that summarizes the things we just talked about. Right. So it summarizes your revenue, your costs. That would be like payroll, right? Sure. Um, expenses incurred during a specific period. So this is why this is kind of important. Profit and loss takes up a specific period usually a fiscal quarter or a year. I like to look at my monthly P&Ls, my quarterly P&Ls, and my year-to-date P&Ls, and then at the end of the year, my year P&L, mm-hmm. right? So every month I'm asking for the previous month's P&L, the previous, and then at the end of the quarter, the previous quarters, and then the year-to-date.
0: Now, when you ask for that, you're asking your bookkeeper? Bookkeeper. You? Bookkeeper, Okay
3: bookkeeper my accountant doesn't do that that's okay. what your bookkeeper would do all right right or if you're like in your own I mean if you have a bookkeeping software and you do it yourself you know go on YouTube and figure out how to run reports right you know now usually how a profit and loss is set up is at the top like if you're looking at the sheet of paper I'm using my hands an awful lot and I'm just realizing oh so no, see me <laughs> um you're looking at the top of it, you're going to see all of the money that came in from all of the different revenue streams, sometimes called categories, sometimes called jobs, depending on your software. All the different revenue streams, you're going to have a total number. And then usually it's payroll or liabilities, a liability would be like a loan mm-hmm. or a credit card or whatever. And then sometimes payroll is first, sometimes liabilities, whatever. And then you're going to have all the expenses with all the categories of the expenses, and usually there's like a major category with a minor category. So the or major like category, subcategories,
0: might, kind of. Yeah, thing.
3: so like the major category would be marketing, and the minor category would be like digital marketing or print marketing right. or um, you know podcast supplies. You could even put that. <laughs> you know, no, I'm serious. If you use, I mean, if you podcast for marketing. Right. You know, this is where your accountant is helpful, right? Like, uh, I guess I should say, full disclosure, I am not an accountant, nor a bookkeeper, nor a lawyer, no any of those things. So talk to your people. Um, But this is where an accountant is helpful because they're like, no, 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 no. Let's think about how you're spending the money Mm -hmm. and then what categories they can be expensed to. Because sometimes something will go in a category that you're like, I didn't know that that could go in that category, but it has to do with like the motive of why you made the purchase. Mm -hmm. And then how that purchase helped make you money. You know, like there's some things that an accountant will help sift through. Mm-hmm. And then there also, I will say the sad thing about an accountant is you'll be like, well, what about this? And they'll be like, no. And you'll be like, oh.
0: Well, <laughs> let I me. can't
3: expense that. No, as, you cannot. As
0: somebody, I just want to share. If, if, as somebody that went through a uh, uh In Canada, we have the HST a tax, a special tax for us Canadians. But as somebody that went through a HST audit, you want to go through the deductions with your accountant rather than a CRA official. Let's just say, like, listen to your accountant and your bookkeeper if they tell you no. No. Um, or or they understand weren't. the limitations, right? Like you can't. There's there's in some deductions or some expenses you can only claim so much, and right. and if you don't categorize things properly, your your account will be flagged. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I had to clarify now. Just full disclosure, I wasn't doing any shenanigans. The problem that we had was. Uh, because there was a lot of U.S. transactions, they're tax exempt. So the government's like, why aren't you collecting tax on these on these purchases? So your account mm-hmm. can get flagged for all sorts right. of different reasons. And, and we were able to clear it up pretty quickly because my bookkeeper accountant and I all understood what was going on.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I let I to that point, I think people get freaked out about getting audited. And I would say if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have to worry about getting you. I mean, being audited does not sound fun No, because you have you have to kind of like do all this work that you feel like you already did. You have to kind of prove a bunch of things you felt like you already proved. You got to find data. You know, it's like a lot of it's like when your identity gets stolen and it's just like a bunch of shenanigans to like solve that. Sure. Um, so that, of course, I don't want to go through that. Nobody wants to go through that. But having records and if you're doing if you're being mindful and tracking everything and keeping your receipts, however, your accountant, until, you know, then if you get audited, it it should be a relative, relatively painless for how painful it could be kind of process And, you know, that's another thing when you're looking for an accountant. Ask them, what do you do if I get audited? Do you cover that in your fees? Is that an additional fee? That's That's a great. thing. responsible for that?
0: I wanted to just tell everybody, as much as getting audited wasn't fun and it did suck through my whole summer a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, I look at it as an amazing learning opportunity because there were some things that my bookkeeper was not understanding about how my business ran and that Mm -hmm. we like it allowed me to look more deeply at my numbers and how I was doing things. And I'm glad that it happened now and not five years from now. Cause that would have been like a forensic <laughs> big mess of a thing. Yeah.
3: So a nightmare. I, as much so as it was didn't...
0: painful, I just want to tell people that I learned a lot about my business and how my responsibility, my bookkeeper's responsibility and the audit was, and, and the other thing, um, my auditor was a very nice woman. Like, we, I asked her questions. I was like, I'm, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Like, it wasn't this horrible... I mean, I don't know how the IRS yeah. is in, in the States, but in Canada, they're super polite.
3: <laughs> well, well... <laughs> So let's finish out profit and loss statement. So we got lost in the expenses for a minute. And mm. then at the very bottom of that P&L, you're going to get that number, mm. that kind of big, bold number. And that's just kind of telling you where you're at, how much money is in really in your business right now. So you want that number to be black, which would <laughs> be in the black, <laughs> you, without a little minus in front of it. <laughs> right. So that will tell you, The profit would be when it's a positive number Mm -hmm. and the loss would be where that's a negative number and the profit is all the money coming in and the loss part is all of the liabilities and the expenses and the payroll if you count that separately. Knowing that if you're a sole proprietor, payroll is not an expense. It's considered income. Next is a balance sheet, Mm -hmm. which is a little different than a profit and loss. So a balance sheet is a financial statement that provides a snapshot of a specific moment in time. Mm. So to what a company owns and owes as well, um, with bigger companies, it's also about the amount invested by shareholders. Right. So for our size businesses, a balance sheet, that would be like, what, where do, what do my books look like today? Mm. This very moment. Mm-hmm. Um, without taking into account any, you know, kind of future expenses or, Anything like that. Right. Great. Yep. Cash flow statement, which is very, 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 very important, mm-hmm. <laughs> is also different than a profit and loss statement. And it is exactly what it sounds like it gives us information about how cash is flowing in and out of our business over an extended period of time. Mm. That extended period of time can be a day, a week, a month or it can be the next 18 months, 2 years.
0: Cash flow statement was life changing for me because of the yeah. just because of the the inconsistent income, right? You just knowing that oh we're getting right. into our our sleepy months and that's I won't have that money coming in. Like life changing.
3: Yay. So again, It tells us, I love what you're saying about the sleepy months, because that's kind of my next point is that the cash flow statements gives us information, not only on the amount, but when. When is money leaving and when is Mm. money coming in? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, what this does is it helps us make projections to what the future will look like. Right. Right. and it helps us make decisions because we can see what the future will look like. And it helps us know when we need to make adjustments in the year on our spending, where we're getting money from to pay our air quotes, owner's draw or air quotes salary. You know, they're all there to help you make decisions about the money in your business. So mm-hmm. at the most basic, a cash flow statement is like I can imagine a spreadsheet in my head right now. I have a really I have a complex cash flow statement that I look at on my own and I have a very simple one. Mm. And the very simple one has on the left hand column all it says is income, expenses, taxes, total. Mm. That's it. And then on the top, the, the call columns, the rows I should have said. And then on the top, they're just the months, right? Right, Like October, 2020, November, 2020, December, 2020. And I have that out for like, I don't know, two years or something. And what that does is it tells me how much money is coming in for that month, how much money it looks like I'm going to spend, how much money I'm going to set aside for taxes, and then what's left, and then what's left over. Mm -hmm. Right. And true you have to look, you have to guess ahead yep. based on what you think is gonna happen. And you you make those decisions based on historical data and what your plans are for the future. So it's it's interesting that we went off topic in the last one talking about planning because now it's so perfectly <laughs> hello, so perfectly tying into kind of this money thing yep. with the cash flow statement. So this would be like, again, that summer program Mm -hmm. that you know you're going to run. Well, the cash might come in in February, March, and April. Right. So you want to make sure you see when it's coming in. And then you see that you don't have money coming in in the summer. So you can say, oh, I see in the summer, I actually have a really low cash flow comparatively Right. In terms of how much is coming in, how much is going out. I can pull money from February, March, April that I've set aside in a savings account, for example. You know, I always suggest this when people are on kind of a year long tuition. It's like, okay, even though you might be charging 10 months, nine months, two payments, whatever, this is why you have to know what your monthly owner's draw is going to be or your monthly salary is going to be and your taxes, because you want to still pay yourself in the summer, even if you choose to not work during the summer, yeah. in terms of like regular lessons or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that means that some some months you're actually pulling money out of your cash flow and putting it in a, maybe a special savings account or a right. mutual fund that you'll only pull from during the summer, to, so that you're still bringing in the same amount of money into your personal account. Which is also why I suggest two accounts, no matter what, you know, like, or two sets of finances. So your personal finances and then your business finances.
0: That, that was a game changer for us because, um, I would have regular tuition from September till June and, for a while, I would do summer group classes and stuff like that. But as my demographic and my my families changed, most of my families have cottages, and my teenagers were getting summer jobs. So offering offering programs during the summer just it wasn't working. Plus, we wanted yeah. the time. We wanted the time to really focus on full voice creation and podcast and all of that stuff. So, we needed that time. So, knowing that I was not going to be teaching allowed me to set up. And that's exactly what we did. We set up a special account. It was our Summer Survive the Summer account. Yes. Yeah. And and it allowed us to totally the stress of getting through the summer we actually enjoyed our summers and they became very rewarding and it was a great break and I have to say I know not everybody can do this and I and I, I want people to know that like I've been teaching for over 30 years and it took me you know probably 28 years to figure out all of this stuff <laughs> but mm-hmm. like having the summers off was so rewarding and it was so great and when I come back in the fall i I. I'm not burnt out, I'm excited and I so the cash flow was huge and setting that money aside and knowing again planning ahead knowing that my offers weren't working in the summer. Yeah, you know, my that I wasn't serving my families by trying to force them into a few lessons in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> which I did for a couple of years.
3: I know. And I think sometimes you know it sneaks up on us. This is one thing that I love about the cash flow statement. And again, here's the deal. Numbers are freedom. Hmm. Numbers, I can't say it enough. Numbers are freedom, and you've heard me say it before. The first step toward financial independence is depression. But (laughs) true, accurate. You know, um, and I and I don't mean that lightly. But I mean like you literally. If you have a money mindset that that makes the numbers mean something, Mm -hmm. which they do, because we all have that connection to money. Uh, there's a psychological element in all money, everything. And to deny that is very foolish. Um, so but, but allowing yourself to kind of relearn and unlearn some of those um, misplaced feelings around mm-hmm. numbers, mm-hmm. yep, and then in, embrace numbers as data gives you so much freedom in your decision making. It, it it is so empowering to be able to look at your statement and say, I am not making the money that I want to make. And now I have real information so I can make real decisions in order to make the one I, I wanna make. And then once you're there making the money you wanna make, this is the money I wanna bring in here, so that, right? So there, that every every money decision we're making has a so that, because that's what money is. It's, a, it's, it's an exchange thing Mm-hmm. A way of exchanging and making change in situations. And sometimes you have to make the change in your own household before you can make change in your immediate circle, right. in your community, in your state, in your world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to me, knowing your numbers is is like definitely one of those self-nurturing, self-care things. I love myself enough to look at my numbers. I care about the people around me enough to look at my numbers. And, um, you know, if you, if you can start your business, cause I know our perspective is also like starting your business. If you can, even, even if you have to get two separate personal accounts to start out, yeah. right. Yeah. You're still just like starting that habit of like, here's the money coming in. And I have a budget for my, oh, let's, I'll do five minutes on budget. Not on what it is, but like just defining. Mm -hmm. I have a budget for my studio and I have a budget for my personal with my family. And now I know how much I need to write myself a check for or whatever every month. And then how much taxes I need to put aside, right? Mm -hmm. To pay. So let's do budget just real quick. Okay. I think people misunderstand, so budget has been, budget is one of those words that can be very um, triggering for people, like very anxious, building visceral reaction, Mm -hmm. because it often is, is associated with lack. I have to make a budget because I don't have enough money. Right And or I have to live on a budget. And it and it's a it for some reason, I I'm not really sure when living on a budget e- turned into living with penny pinching or like I'm not sure when that happened. I don't really need to know the history of that, but here we are where budget equals lack for many people. And I want to say budget equals gain. Mm. Budget equals freedom. So ultimately what a budget is, is it's you just deciding where all of your money goes. Right. That's all. That's all it is. And there's no judgment about, I don't care what you spend your money on. You spend your money on whatever you want. I think budgeting has also been wrapped up into like morality of expenses. Oh, okay. Which is like a whole other thing. But um I don't care what you spend your money on. What I want you to do is track it, Mm, Okay, you know? And then you can make decisions and you can do like kind of that cost benefit analysis. (laughs) You know, how much does this cost versus how much does, how much benefit does it bring me? And you can say, yeah, this thing is, is still worth it to me. I would like to intentionally still spend money on this or, you know what, I'm spending money on this. But when I really think about it, it's not really bringing me much. And it's like just a habit. So I'm going to take that money from that. I'm going to close that line item. And I'm going to put that money into this other thing that I really care about. Right? It's about, pri- budgeting is about prioritizing your money. And two budgets, creating two budgets is great. It's the budget that is your current budget based on your current cash flow, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: right? So here's the real numbers. Here's what I know is happening. And then here's my dream budget. Mm. Here's my projected budget. Here's what I want to be spending money on. So that you actually realize how much you need to have what you want. I mean, we kind of do this on a low key, like whenever you go on vacation, don't you do that? You're like, okay, well, how much is the plane tickets going to cost? And how much are the It gets to Disneyland or whatever, wherever you go. And how much is the hotel? You kind of do this on a mini scale. So what if you did it to your whole business? Mm
0: -hmm.
3: You know, in three years, I want to be able to completely update my website, have brand new computer, you know, and a new piano. And then I want that to be cyclical every three years. So I know that I'm putting this much aside every month so that every three years, I know I can get a new computer. No big deal nice right so budgeting again is about empowering all these other kpis or key performance indicators to work for you
0: and you've talked about kpis on 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 other yeah yeah i love it
3: i think that's good i, I think, think that's enough i think of... that's wonderful oh, i have geez. one more
0: i have one more heartfelt question for you yes um if there is a listener right now who is feeling a lot of shame or tr- and perhaps understands that they have some trauma about looking mm-hmm. at numbers and they know that it just they if they it's a struggle emotionally physically to just address any of these what would what would be your recommendation for that person
3: I really feel like working with a professional around this mm. is essential so, working, you know, you can read a bunch of books. I have books that I can recommend. um Kate Northrop, Money, a love story. If you're more a little, a little bit more of a sassafras, you can do um Jim sincero. Um, I'm a badass at making money. Is that? It? Yeah. Um, there's also the abundance code by author that I is escaping me right now. So you can read books, but like, get with a coach who can walk you through okay. some of those questions and kind of hold space with you while you, while you are viscerally, viscerally feeling that trauma in your body. Because trauma is stored in our body, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. So get with a person who can walk you through those things and kind of challenge some of your assumptions and give you some teaching moments. I mean, if, if it really is that, if, if it is freezing you, mm. you know, like, uh. there's also Jaquette Timmons wrote an amazing book around financial intimacy. Mm. And she just came and spoke to the Speakeasy Cooperative and came to some my other program. She's incredible. Very much recommend learning about her and reading her book and her podcast. She's got a great podcast as well. Um. Get with a person who can gently guide you through that and stop ignoring it. Just, just choose you. Choose you so that you can work through some of that stuff because it really, it will help.
0: Michelle, I thank you for all of that. Wonderful information. I am going to put links to those recommended books in our show notes uh, and to Jen's uh, information. And I can't thank you enough from for from a personal standpoint, for my own teaching studio and business, but also for helping our listeners uh, really just break out of bad habits and old habits and just really embrace the, the business that they have. This series has been fantastic and I know that uh, you're changing lives. So thank you. And uh, we will, we will have you back. We will have, maybe we'll have a question and answer period or something. We'll, we'll ask people for questions.
3: I love it. That's a great idea
0: a very special thank you to all our fantastic returning expert guests brian lee eden castile and michelle marquardt devoe if you would like more details about our guests or the links mentioned in today's show please check out the show notes. full voice music is dedicated in creating super fun and educational resources for teachers working with young singers visit our website where you can check out our materials download free activities and samples from all our books our books are available worldwide on our website and from the amazon store sign up to our teacher newsletter and have fun activities delivered right to your inbox and be sure to follow us on instagram at the full voice as always i am wishing you my friend and colleague a strong finish to what has been one of the most challenging years and
3: happy singing
2: Made by Canoe Music Productions.